Hey everyone, you're listening to Oye Let's Talk with Gabby, Danny, and Manny. But today we're doing things a little bit differently. As you've all seen during national headlines, you may have seen it all over the news, the protests regarding justice for George Floyd and extension of the Black Lives Matter movement. Today we have a special guest to dive deeper in this topic, specifically within our community as well, Vanessa Santana. Hey guys, how are you? Thank you so much for having me on here. Um, I'll give a brief little intro. So my name is Vanessa Santana. I am first generation Afro-Dominican. So first in my entire extended family to be born in the United States. My entire family is from Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic. And I recently relocated um, from New York City to Minneapolis, Minnesota. So I live here, work as a marketer, and have been pretty involved um, you know, in the community um, in the front lines, trying to protest as much as possible, since obviously the situation has happened here in the heart of everything. And yeah, I'm excited to share my experience as an Afro-Latina, and I'm excited to be on here. So thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, thanks so for much for being here. We're clearly super excited that you're here. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll give a quick, brief um, summary of the New York Times on George Floyd, just to give a little background on what has recently sparked the Black Lives Matter movement once again. Um, So on May 25th, for those of you who don't know, Minneapolis police officers arrested George Floyd, a 46-year-old Black man, after a convenience store employee called 911 and told the police that Mr. Floyd had bought cigarettes with a counterfeit $20 bill. 17 minutes after the first, first squad car arrived at the scene, Mr. Floyd was unconscious and pinned beneath three police officers showing no signs of life. So Vanessa, you mentioned that you live currently in in Minneapolis. Can you tell us a little bit about what you've seen, if you've been a part of any of these protests? Yeah, for sure. So um, definitely, I think it's, again, I I can, first, I want to say that I'm definitely an expert in my own experience and a witness in others. So Um, I can speak just based on what I've seen, what the city has felt from my perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say the past couple weeks, especially the day of, just was super traumatic. You can feel the energy in the city was down um, because the reality is he was murdered. Um, It it wasn't that he died at police custody. And, you know, I, I think it's important that we're so intentional with the language that we use to describe these situations because he was murdered. Right. And unjustly, it was caught on video for the world to see. Um, And I would say the first couple days, there was protests immediately the day after starting the day after, and it was pretty much like everywhere throughout the city. So I actually live about 10 minutes away from where all this happened. Wow. Um, and so I remember on that Thursday going for a walk um, at a lake nearby just because it had, you know, had been a pretty traumatic past couple of days and walking right into a protest. So a protest that was happening, a, a peaceful protest. Um near Lake Street by a famous lake out here. And quite frankly, that first protest that I had gone to and kind of walked into was super peaceful. So it was, you know, people blocking traffic, yes, but people kneeling and praying in the middle of the street, you know, for our nation, for our city, for George Floyd, for his family. Um, there was people of all races, white people, um, Asian people, Latino people, people, young people, older people. There was just such a diversity of people. And I, and I knew at that moment that I needed to start, you know, posting these things on Instagram because the, the response I was getting from back home and from my friends elsewhere in the country was we're seeing all this unrest. We're seeing tear gas and police and the national guard is coming soon. And there was, you know, the riots and the looting. And there was all this, um, I think depiction that the media was, was bringing that wasn't necessarily what I was seeing being here in the city. So every single Mm -hmm. process that I have been to has been pacific and peaceful. And, and, you know, it's, it's just been, a beautiful thing to see so many people come together, but also an equally sad, traumatizing time because 
this had to happen for us to finally realize that Black Lives Matter and this has been continuously happening. So I think for a lot of Black people, um, you know, this wasn't new. We're used to seeing Black bodies killed at the hand of the at the hands of the police. Even now, it's been a couple of weeks since, and the city is still rebuilding. People are still coming together. So I think it's a a dichotomy where you see a lot of positivity and people coming together, allyship. While it started in Minneapolis, this situation is not new, right? We know that. And I think the reason why this this movement is picking up is because we are also in the middle of a pandemic with COVID-19 and people don't have the option to just turn a blind eye. They're not so busy that they can just continue moving forward with their lives. We're all seeing it. It all started in the city. And so now people are activated to actually change the injustices that have been going on for so long. I think another key uh, component here is that because you mentioned that it's not anything new, this has been happening, you know, since the beginning of our, our American history. Um, I think nowadays, and by nowadays, I mean the 21st century, we're able to record things, whereas before it wasn't documented. You couldn't see a video. There was no proof. Now you do have that proof. And, you know, there there are some things that are just inevitably right or wrong. There is no in between. There's no maybe. It's yes, it happened or no, it did not happen. Look at the proof. Right. But even, yeah, I agree a thousand percent. I think technology has enabled the ability to have that evidence and proof. I think what's even more sad is that even with those video recordings, you still have people who are looking for all the, you know, well, oh, well, what's the track record? What's the criminal record? Or what, you know, maybe they were resisting arrest. There's like, even with all this video footage, we still have people trying to build a case. And I think that's super problematic. Um, but yeah, I'm super grateful that, I mean, imagine... That's also the part, again, that's equally a little bit traumatic because you think about what about all the cases where people didn't record, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Vanessa, I wanted to ask you, when you were out in the protests, was there anything that you saw like a a poster or is anything that you heard that really resonated with you that really kind of changed how you were thinking the moment? Yeah, I think um, there's been a lot. So I think people are so creative. It's been very interesting to see, um, you know, just the communication that people and the expression people have when they go to the po- to the protests. I think for me, what has been very impactful is seeing the way people at protests talk about um, white silence being betrayal and white silence being violence. And again, you have to remember, I'm in Minnesota, which is not, you know, my new home, but I'm from New York City, where I'm used to being around a lot of diversity. And so being in Minneapolis, while it is diverse, there is a lot of white people here. So seeing white people actually step up and say, you know, white silence is violence, or white silence is betrayal, and no longer can I be silent, that has been very interesting to me um, because, again, we're having an awakening where a lot of white people, including Latinos, like white passing Latinos or even other races, are starting to realize how problematic the situation is. And I think that that has been eye opening for me. Um, and, yeah, I will say also um I've liked seeing the celebration of certain things too, like how I saw a, some a poster that said uh, "Black joy is an act of resistance," and I thought about that as well. Of like how, you know, Black Lives Matter—that's the minimum. We're not supposed to just matter. We're also worthy. We're supposed to thrive and and be happy. And even those things can be seen as negative in a very in the very polarized society that we're living in right now. But I think those messages have been very uplifting for me personally. Thank you for sharing. Of course. Talk a little bit about uh, the whole concept of, well, yeah, but all lives matter. Why is that problematic to someone who insists on that but doesn't understand? Yeah, no, that is, I think it's so interesting that we're even having this discussion, right, as a society. Um, and you know, for me personally, I guess I'll share an anecdote. I was recently, I have an aunt that is white passing Dominican and 
you know, she was reaching out to me about the protest and being like, why are you there? You shouldn't be there. You quédate en la casa que están tirando y esto y lo otro. You know, it was, it was a lot. <laughs> and, you know, she started talking to me with the all lives matter rhetoric and well, all lives matter. And, you know, I had to give her the analogy and say, okay, well, if one, if you're on the street and one house is burning, are you going to call the firefighters and tell them to, you know, hose down every other house on the block? Mm-hmm. No, you're going to tell them to hose down the the house that's burning, right? Right. And that's mm-hmm. the same thing with um, All Lives Matter rhetoric. It's like the reason why people are saying Black Lives Matter is because Black lives are dying, okay? And like Black lives have been suppressed. And um, that's not only just in this country, that's globally. Like that's in our countries as well. Um, and And I think when people use that rhetoric of All Lives Matter, there just needs to be a lot of introspection of like, why do you feel so offended that Black lives should matter? Because all lives cannot matter until Black lives matter. And Black lives are the ones being killed and suppressed consistently. Let me ask you if you can share, what did your what did your aunt say? How did that conversation go? Because I feel like that's a conversation that a lot of people may want to have with um their friends who are white or their family members who are white or white passing how did that conversation go what are some what's what are some tips or advice that you can give to our listeners who may want to start that dialogue with someone right no absolutely um so i will say the conversation for me was very hard right because it's my tia you know she's somebody who i love and someone who loves me but the truth is, as a white passing Latina, she will never have to experience some of the things that me, my mom, my brother will have experienced. And so when she was using this rhetoric, I had to, you know, have it was very exhausting, quite frankly, to have the conversation, especially being as, you know, self-identifying as a black person. But I had to just straight right. up give her examples of times that I had encountered racism and times that. I had had, you know, a Karen call the cops on me and my friends for just having a party. Um, So I had to like really go in detail. I had to talk about times where my brother, my little brother will be pulled over. And, you know, my aunt is like, no, porque tú eres cristiana. You know, you're so successful and you're the model in the family and this and this and that. And I'm like, okay, tia, but at the end of the day, when a cop sees me, they're not making, they're not saying, oh, okay, Vanessa, she could be Dominican and she could be Christian and she could be super successful. They're not saying all these things. They're just seeing my skin for what it is, right? right? And so I think the minute you make it personal to your family members, if you are an Afro-Latina, that's when it becomes real because they they see you, like your family members see you as a person and they see you for who you are. And and I think that that idea of blackness sometimes in our culture and Latino culture is um, ignored or colorism is just belittled. And um, I think in terms of tips, even if it's like, a you know, a white passing Latino talking to another uh, family member that doesn't understand, I think it's thinking about those people in your life and in your family that could very well be affected. And, and using them as an example of like, this could be them. Because I think the people don't get things until you make it personal. And that's one thing. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I think is um, analyzing the history of racism within our own culture and honestly doing a lot of learning and reflection on that. Because I think, uh, especially for me and my family, race wasn't something that we often talked about you know my parents were immigrants even when I came here like I people here in the states they think I'm black but the reality is I I grew up eating and I had a very interesting (laughs) experience you know I had a a very Dominican experience um right I I had a, a very Dominican upbringing um but again, I face value. People say, okay, you're black. So imagine as a first generation person having to navigate like what I'm being told I am, what I think I am, what I look like, but what my family says I am, it's a lot at once. And so um, I think we need to start having real conversations about racism and colorism in our own culture as Latinos. Um, And that is something that I think is a good starting place for when you're having these conversations is analyzing and saying, okay, 
um, you know, that stubborn maybe tia or that grandpa or whoever, my abuelo, it's like, okay, how about we pay attention to who they're casting in the novelas? How about we pay attention to what artists get famous and why? How about we pay attention to, you know, who's in a Latin Grammy and why? And, you know, like those are the type of things we need to start doing introspection and reflection on is like how colorism and racism manifests itself in our own countries. Um, And then because I think that's when when you start to learn and unpack that, you can then start to better understand that it's not just an American issue. Because I think that's the tough part, too, is that I've been in conversations with family members where they're like, oh, yeah, well, you feel it because you're American. And I'm like, no, because this could very well be you as well, because you're also black. Um, And so, again, I think it's just an education thing. I think it's an empathy thing. And, um, you know, just just coming at it with an open mind, but also being relentless in trying to um, prove why, you know, fellow Black Lives Matter and also how we're not, I mean, Latinos have faced discrimination here as well. So, so actually, Vanessa, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I wanted to touch upon that because it, this is like a twofold question. One, mm-hmm. I've been educating a lot of my colleagues explaining like, you're going to have tough conversations with um, your parents or people of other generation that may be white passing Latinos understand that the first time you may bring it up or the first three times, like how do you navigate understanding that they're not going to understand the first time? And then the second part of my question is, well, then I get a lot of, well, what about Latinos? Like, why don't you worry about our oppression? So how, what tips would you have for our listeners to navigate those two situations? Yeah. So regarding the first one, um, and you said, repeat the first question again. I just want to make sure I answer it correctly. So essentially, you got up the courage, you decided to tell your white passing Cuban grandmother that, hey, what you're saying is not okay, or what you said there was a little racist, and you brought up all the education and everything you spent time learning, you were trying to explain to your grandmother, but it ends in a fight. What would you do at that point? I think it's tough, again, because the the colorism is so deep-rooted in our cultures, Um, but I think it's, again, the best thing is making things personal. So like thinking about those black people in your life and in your family or people that, you know, or friends or whatever that the case may be and making it, making it an example about them. Like it could very well be X, this person, and this is why, or, you know, showing the, the countless times. And I think another thing too, that I've noticed within, um, the, Latino community, or at least within my family, I would say, a lot of times the conversation gets construed and people start talking about the violence and the um, looting and the riots. And I think the important thing is to refocus on what's important. So in those conversations that you're having with people who don't necessarily understand, it's like, it might have to be a history lesson, you know, a tough history lesson where you're literally just teaching them what happened before and why. Um, and I think it's just patience. And the reality is also understanding, like, we as humans can't change people. (laughs) People change on their own terms and when they want to change. So, um, I think, you know, for me, like I said, in my family, I've spoken from my own personal experience. I've made examples of other Black people in my family. And when you make it personal, people can't refute or argue that. So I think that's, you know, as much as you can making it personal um making it about someone in your life in your that emotional appeal Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's what makes the difference um and and it's not an easy thing but it's the right thing and then I think your second question was regarding like when people are like what about Latinos Mm -hmm. that a lot of the times they they try to change the discussion or as you were saying earlier like we may struggle to refocus um, why we're speaking about the Black Lives Matter movement, but a lot of Latinos, I think, find safety in saying, well, what about our oppression or what about us? And how do we navigate that situation to say your point or your feelings towards your oppression are valid, but we need to refocus right now? Yeah, I think um, plain and simple, it's not the same oppression. 
<laughs> it's not the same oppression. Like this country was built off, like the United States was legitimately built off of slavery um, and capitalism. And so the oppression of black people in this country is a different plight. Not to say, you know, the, the Latino oppression isn't equally awful or like the immigration crisis that we're seeing or families being detained. Like not to say that those things are not awful because they are um, being killed by the cops by merely existing is not always, is not the same. You know what I'm saying? Um, And I think that is the conversation we need to have empathy for, you know, because, and I think the minute that our communities unite and there's not so much divisiveness within the Black Latino cultures, because the cultures are so similar, you know, like the value systems are so similar. I, again, think that we have just been conditioned as Latinos to not want to associate with Black people in this country because of all the stereotypes that come with that, right? So we choose to separate ourselves when in reality, we need to be focusing on how to unify because our struggles are still similar as well. You know, and our own countries are, have all dealt with colonization and white supremacy. And those are things that both uh, groups have, again, both groups have been oppressed. But right now, the situation that is uprising is Black Lives Matter because they keep dying at the hands of police. And that is a systematic issue that has existed for years that we can't just turn a blind eye to. And yes, there will continue to be struggles within the Latino community, but it's all the same source. It's all, you know, systematic oppression, white supremacy. They're all from the same source. So the minute we start to understand where the source is, that's when we can start to move forward and to empathize. I think another big problem that we're seeing, and this has come up with like conversations with friends of friends, um, is the fact that I think a lot of people are like, well, I understand it, but it's not like it's not my issue or it's not in me to say anything because I'm not black or I can't identify. I'm I shouldn't, you know, speak for them because this isn't my cause. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, absolutely. Whether they're ignorant or not, they just don't identify or they don't feel like it's their duty, so to speak. What, yeah. what would you say to that? Yeah, well, I would say this is not a situation of black and white. This is not a situation of politics. This is a human issue. Mm -hmm. This is purely a human issue. You don't have to be black, white, Latino, Asian, or anything to see someone murdered unjustly and know that that is wrong. You know, like there's just, it's basic humanity 101. Um, so like how many times again do we have to, and you don't have to be black or white to know that it's wrong. And therefore, you know, you don't have to be, you have to be uncomfortable with remaining silent. I think silence is, again, betrayal and it's, it's hurtful, it's painful. Um, and, and I think it needs to be addressed. And it's like, you should be speaking up because it's a human issue. It's not a race issue. It's a human issue with the maltreatment that happens to do with race. Vanessa, you bring up such a great point. This is a human issue. This is an issue that stands at the forefront of Black people's liberties. Compared to when the Black Lives Matter movement first started over seven years ago, I can't help but notice the difference in tone. The difference, there's a difference in the air. There's, we're seeing protests pop up in all 50 states. We're even seeing protests in other countries. The movement has a different magnitude to it. It's it feels powerful. How does this moment compare to seven years ago? Yeah, I mean, I would say the issue isn't different. Like you know, people were still getting murdered. Oh, um, right. But the sense right. of the right, right. but the sense of the movement. Yes, I would say that it has evolved, and I think a lot of that, to my earlier point, is because of this global pandemic that we're in with COVID-19 and how everyone has been, you know, at home. And our world has just drastically shifted to a point where we don't have a choice to just ignore it because all of these things are being widespread, publicized, 
and every the whole world saw a man get murdered. You know what I'm saying? And it's like before, maybe before earlier, people were in their own lanes and just kind of moving. But now what we have in this earth is just a unifying force of this pandemic and everyone going through it their own way. And I think this has caused a lot of people to do that internal reflection and also see that it's wrong, you know? And I think um, I have been really inspired by the momentum of this movement um, globally as well. Like all the countries that you're seeing pour out, you're seeing even more Latino countries now. Like I saw recently a whole entire campaign in Colombia for another, a, a man that was murdered by police brutality. And that it's that things like that are really crazy because you realize again that it's not a u.s issue it is a global issue um and, and so yeah i think the i'm hopeful that the movement will continue to spark change vanessa i actually had a question that i wanted to get your perspective on so sure. some of the some of the conversations that i've been seeing is that oh this movement has died down a bit because we're seeing it less on social media fewer protests are being planned etc cetera, etc cetera. or one comment I recently scrolled past was, oh, I believe they finally got the change they were protesting for. And that really didn't sit right with me. Mm. Although these protests have been sparking some sort of change, like I was just wondering what change have you seen on your end and what change do you still hope to see? Yeah, um, that's good. I mean, I think so in terms of changes that I've seen locally, Obviously, like the police officers getting arrested, certain um, states passing specific laws that, um, you know, go against police reform. People have been uh, like, for example, in Minnesota, you have a couple of like the Minnesota Public Schools, Parks and Recreation, like all these major agencies are, um, you know, defunding or closing all their ties with the Minneapolis Police Department, I think that is huge, right? Like when you ha start to see other businesses um, or other entities cutting ties with the police and showing that they believe in um, community-led you know, safety and they believe in investing resources in back into the community, um, those type of things, I think, are significant changes that came because of the protests, right? Because people are going out there every day demanding change and demanding justice. So those are great changes that I've seen locally here. I can't, I mean, there's a ton that, um, you know, we could probably go on a list uh, that have happened over the past two weeks. Um, but I think this is just the surface. This is just the beginning. There's there's just so many systematic issues, everything from like education and health reform. Like there's just so a list of so many issues to tackle that I don't think it's going to take, you know, before after our lifetimes to even see those things fully resolved. So I think this is just the beginning. Um, I'm hoping it continues, but I don't think it's something that's going to happen overnight by any means. I agree. I agree. And I'm I'm sorry to agree. <laughs> right. Right. I was actually right. going to ask you guys a question if that's cool. Yeah. Go on, Vanessa. Yeah, I was I was said I was going to ask you guys the questions if that's cool too cuz Yeah. Yeah, yeah go and ahead. Obviously this is your podcast, so I'm not trying to steal the mic cuz <laughs> I know I could be long-winded. <laughs> um I I just am curious how you guys have been um dealing with this personally or feeling about it, um speaking out or not speaking out, um and, and curious how you guys are dealing with it as Latinos who might not have that super strong tie to blackness. I'm just curious how you guys are are dealing with it. So I actually want to touch upon like another layer to this. We're all also like in professional media where we need to be concerned about our credibility on which side, if there are sides to stand on things. And, you know, we're obviously employed by various media companies. So Sure. We have to take that into account, too, because I don't want to say we lose our jobs, but like it can be an uncomfortable conversation with a boss. Oh, yeah. Um, so just personally on my end, like I, ha I found that I didn't have too much trouble with that. Like it was interesting to navigate as a professional 
um, because I'm very outspoken and I know how I want. But again, it's using the platforms I have to express factual beliefs, if that makes sense. Like I have Mm -hmm. the facts to prove these things. And I think that's a little bit of the angle that we've all taken is, Mm -hmm. you know, talking about the change, talking about the number of peaceful protests. Um, I know personally on Twitter, like whenever I see misinformation, like call it out and linking the facts, like at the end of the day, as journalists, like that's kind of the, what the waters that we swim in. And then being the three of us, I would say are white passing Latinos or lack of melanin, to be honest. Um, (laughs) So it's just making sure we have those conversations with our families and, you know, we're in it. 24 7 news is a 24 7 business so we're always constantly surrounded by it reporting the latest from minneapolis and then like whatever little changes and protests it may spark within our communities that we cover and then having to have the difficult conversations or those interactions with maybe white colleagues and trying to explain to people or like overhear conversations and professionally you know navigate that and then doing it with your loved ones it's it can be exhausting overall but i it's a fight worth having at the end of the day yeah i echo gabby on that absolutely um i think that awareness is key when it comes to any type of controversial topic um any type of human rights um theme so to say um i think that our mission as journalists is always to inform to shed light on topics that could be somewhat uncomfortable, like Gabby mentioned, um, more than anything, to encourage people to have these conversations, to go out and vote, to let them know that their voice does matter. Like they're one person, but collectively and united, regardless of what culture, what background you come from, we stand stronger. And any type of uh, major movement that has, you know, crossed that tough barrier and made something of themselves is because they stood up for something and they did change the course of history. So I think we need to understand that we also have the power to change history. It's just a matter of taking action, even if it's just, you know, showing support and solidarity. And I'm not just talking about, you know, posting a black image on Instagram because I don't know how much really that does in the long term, but posting a link to, you know, donate to a particular Black organization, um, you know, showing resources that you can look into how to educate yourself. I think that's very important. Mm-hmm. The things I've asked you throughout this podcast are things that I've been going a lot through my head. A, how to have a, di- a dialogue with someone. Because at the end of the day, that's how we're going to make change, you know, um, talking to someone, reaching out, whether it's your family work, your family, you know, you were talking to your tia or Gabby talking to her coworkers, you know, because at the end of the day, it just takes, you know, you changing someone's mind. And it's, it's going to be, you know, that little effect that's going to create a ripple effect into, you know, the rest of our society. Um, and I also asked you about how this movement now compares how it first started seven years ago. And I'm really noticing a big shift in not only the intensity of uh, the protesting going around the nation and just the length of it. Like this, it's been two weeks and there's still protests going on weekdays and weekends here mm-hmm. in, you know, in South Florida, miles removed from Minneapolis. And you're also seeing a big shift from big corporations, you know, it may seem a little, you know, late or hypocritical, um, but it's still something to be noted. And I feel like the moment right now feels very different and we're living in this and there's a pandemic going around. And at the same time, what people I think are forgetting, it's an election year. And what I'm most hopeful for is that this energy, this energy drives people to the polls and that we see that we see some big major changes and we see, you know, people with strong policies and, you know, strong reforms Mm -hmm. on police or gun reform. And that's, that's what keeps me hopeful for the future, for the months to come. You know, a lot of it is unpredictable and we can't, you know, change the world, even within our lifetimes. Like you said, you know, we're only here to change it just a little tiny bit because, you know, we stand on the shoulders of giants that have come before us that have done so much. And I feel like here 
and the moment in our time, you know, our role is to move the little, the needle just a little more. If that means, you know, it, it can be insignificant to us in the moment, but in the grand scheme of things, I think it's, it's a lot. And I feel like that's what I've been yeah. going through and just, you know, having those hard conversations. Very well said. I agree with literally everything because at the root, I think you need all parts, right? Like you need all parts of the revolution in order to make change. Like you need, um, you need the protest. You also need the legal reform, you know, and getting people, like you said, keeping mm-hmm. that same energy when it comes time to vote, not only, uh, you know, nationally, but also at the local level. And, mm-hmm. and I'm just hoping that, People can continue to, you know, educate themselves not only on um, racism, but also Mm -hmm. educate themselves on their local legislators and um, how they're a direct, you know, impact to their society um, locally. So I'm excited for that, too. From uh, like district attorneys, state attorneys, judgeships, you know, Uh which even, you know, some counties have sheriffs. And I think all that creates just a little bit of change. I just wanted to ask, how are you dealing with everything? Like, how are you handling it? Um, I understand that social media might be hard to scroll through sometimes, or it may feel like an endless black hole. Like, I see you're having tough conversations with your parents and going out there and protesting. Like, what is it like for you? And how are you taking care of yourself? Yeah, I think, um, I'll be honest, I think it varies by the hour sometimes. Um... I think for me, um, personally, the I think the first week of all the George Floyd, so Ahmaud Aubrey that happened, and I would say for me it was very like numbing, almost like okay, another situation, you know. Did it was you very watch numbing. the entire video by any chance? Yeah, <laughs> I watched okay. every video, um, mm-hmm. and and for me, I have a nineteen-year-old brother, so every time I see these situations. I just can only think about my brother and how that could very well be my brother, how he's about to move to Arizona and he's about to be alone, you know, cause he's going to college. And it's just like, that creates a lot of stress and anxiety, I think for me, um, which I'm typically a chill person. Like I, you know, can, I'm, I'm pretty chill. I'm not super emotional. I'm pretty level set and balanced. Um, but I think, uh, the George Floyd situation was because it happened again, 10 minutes away from where I live. Um, it was tough. It was very tough. It was very hard to go into work the next day and act like everything was business as usual or, you know, ha- be, I was very disengaged for that first week. I think it was super traumatic again, because all I can think of is my brother. And then you hear about Breonna Taylor and you're like, that could have been me, you know, that could have been my friends. That could have been anybody. Um, and I think it was, I think when the George Floyd situation happened, the Amy Cooper situation happened as well. I'm not sure if you guys are aware of that one, where there was a white woman in Central Park who had called the cops on a bird yeah, watcher. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he caught her on video calling the cops and, you know, pretty much putting on this whole show and, over-dramatizing, saying she was being attacked the whole time she's um, choking her dog. And that blew up all over social media. And, you know, the woman lost her job. Now, um, I even saw New York is trying to pass a Amy Cooper bill that, you know, addresses when people call the police like that. And that, to me, that triggered a lot. Because, like I said, I've had white women weaponize their whiteness and call the cops on me um for no reason like I've been in situations like that and I think the culmination of everything was super traumatic um the past couple weeks but um I and the thing is I work in marketing specifically doing social media content strategy and media buying so I can't necessarily afford to like take a couple days off social media and not look at it because it's part of my everyday profession um Mm -hmm. so I think that, you know, like all these images and all these things you're seeing on your feed, that all starts to really get to you. And it's pretty traumatic. And I think, um, you know, that coupled with also having to deal with tough conversations with family members who didn't get it, or, you know, 
have even just like an overwhelming response from a lot of like white people or allies who were finally realizing it. Even that was a little bit exhausting because I'm like, wow, you're finally realizing that racism is real. And how do I deal with your like white guilt right now? It was just, it's awkward. So I would say in terms of how I'm dealing with it, um, it, I think I went through my wave of like deep trauma and reflection and understanding and trigger, you know, I was super triggered. Now I'm trying to channel that more into being um, a resource to others, to myself, and then obviously having to take care of myself. Like I said, I've been, it's been just going through waves of emotion. You know, one minute you're like, oh my God, this could be my brother. This could be me. Um, And then you're also dealing with your family members who might not get it. Um, And then you're also dealing with work when trying to show up and still be you and still contribute, but also being, you know, having to live this almost like a double life. Um, but luckily again, I've, I've very fortunate that I work with people who have been super supportive and understanding and my company has been supportive. Um, so I'm grateful for that, but it still doesn't change the fact that, you know, you still have to like show up and be a functioning human. Um, and so I think for self-care and what I've tried to do. I mean, I've had plenty of nights where I'm like, I'm just going to have comfort food and and chill. Um, Treat yourself I, for sure. Right. I love so, that. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I just need, listen, I'm not even going, like, I'm not even going to worry about eating this salad. I'm ordering <laughs> a whole pizza and I'm going to feel fine. Um, and then I, <laughs> yeah. I, think, and then, I think it's also the internal realization also that it's like, it's not your job to educate people either. Yeah. I mean, it's great when they ask questions and when they come to you for advice, I think, you know, that's great, but when it comes down to it, I think it's everyone's individual responsibility to go and do a quick Google search. I don't know, watch a Netflix documentary, read educated books about what it's like, what, you know, certain Basically, Vanessa, she's saying you should eat your pizza, let the other people carry some weight. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Thanks, Gabby. Yeah, no, but it's like, the thing is, it's, it's also exhausting. like, you know, it's super exhausting. And you know, even in our culture, like, we're brought up like Latinos are brought up you know you gotta like be nice and you gotta you know when people ask for help you gotta break your back to help them and so naturally I think I am someone who I don't want to just you know reject people and be like go google it you know so naturally I like to help and so what Mm -hmm. I've been doing is trying to use my platform um, on social media more as a place where I post resources I post my thoughts and and whatnot and try to get you know spread the knowledge and resources as much as I can Um, but yeah it's been awkward having to deal with like people's you know like white guilt or like hey like I know this is really wrong and I'm thinking I'm like okay what do you want me to do about it you want me to like am I supposed to like applaud you for caring that I'm black or am I supposed to not you know so it's been really interesting seek attention it's not the time yeah, it's it's really interesting to deal to like see other people realize all the things they've been missing out on. Like that's been very interesting, but also kind of equally exhausting because then when you're like when you get these messages of people being like, "Oh my god, thinking of you," like how can I help? It's like then it it still puts the burden on people of color on black people to have to right. respond right. or you know something like that. So I think that's been very interesting to navigate, and I think for me. I've been, again, trying to channel my energy on what I can control. Um, And I think, you know, in terms of faith for me has been so important too. like every day, literally saying my Salmo 23 and like grounding myself in like my identity. (laughs) 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 I had to say it this morning and it was so funny because I realized that, um, I realize that I only know it in Spanish. I don't know it in English. Yes. Um, but literally, always a struggle. <laughs> yeah, I really do. But yeah, I was like, thanks, Graham. Abuela, man, abuela. I never thought I would like be leaning on my abuela's, you know, yeah. words <laughs> right now. <laughs> okay, so this, this is not the question I was going to ask originally, but I want to really take the opportunity since you're here. And I want to ask... And it's not an easy question because I feel like it's not an easy answer. And I know it becomes 
exhaustive like we've been talking about it where you're like you know am i supposed to applaud you or like oh you know congrats but what do we do when i feel like this is a question for all of us but vanessa specifically for you what happens to those people who don't want to change their minds or who are too ignorant to realize that they're wrong what do we do what I mean, obviously, it's none of our jobs to teach or reach out to those people. But do we just ignore those bigots? Do we continue moving and ignore the people that can't be changed? Because that's something I constantly try to think about. Because at the end of the day, I feel like sometimes we live in an echo chamber and, you know, we're posting on our social media. Mm -hmm. And, you know, most of our circle of friends are, you know, they probably think the same as us. It's like, do you go ahead and unblock or do you try to have a conversation with that person? Or are you like, no, this is not even worth my time? What's your opinion on that? Is I obviously I feel like. I'm asking you, but it's like that's such an exhausted – you're like already exhausted as it is teaching someone who does want to reach out. Um, how do you address that? What do you have to say on that? Yeah, um, I think that's very interesting. So I will answer – so for me, I feel like as a black person, there are so many more fish to fry that I don't even have time to address the bigots because at that point you're you're I've already classified you as like you are part of the problem and right. you're like that because you want to be like that and that's how you're raised and that's you know so for me it's like I don't have the capacity to but that's when I think allies and people who are not necessarily going through the trauma in the same way I think that's when you're allyship is so important because to me the role of white people white passing latinos latinos asians the role of non-black people is to have those conversations on our behalf because you you are enlightened and you have that perspective and you mm -hmm. have that connection that and you have the ability and power to change someone's mind like that because of a personal relationship. I'm not talking about the trolls on Twitter. That The trolls on Twitter right. and the trolls on social media that just go in there and have hate. It's no point in time in, in you know, trying to change uh, somebody's mind that way because people would just argue to death on the Internet. But if it's somebody that you actually value and care for in your personal life, I believe it is your fundamental role as a non-Black person to be trying to tap through. However, understanding that people and humans, we we do not have the power to fully change. We can influence, but we cannot change people. People change when they want to change on their own terms. So That is so you're true. So, right. so yeah, I think it's just remembering mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm your power as an ally is to educate is to have those tough conversations. Cause I guarantee you, Manny, if you're talking, Manny, Gabby, Danny, if you guys are talking to one of these bigots that you just, I'm making this up, but you maybe it's somebody that you work with and they, you know, I don't know them and I don't see them. I don't have a reason to talk to them and I don't have a reason to like waste my time trying to convince them. But if it's somebody that you value and that you, you know, constantly, make exchanges with, I think it's worth the conversation knowing that we need to be very clear that us as people, we can only influence so much. We cannot, we don't have the power. We're not God. Like we don't have the power to change somebody's heart and spirit. And that has to be on God. You just got to have the conversation and influence what you can and, and pray that it falls on good soil and that God will change that person. To be honest, that's my answer. Honestly, Vanessa, well I said. love that answer. Thank, thank, yes, that was beautiful. Like I've, I've honestly, I've, you know, since throughout the past few weeks, like that's something I've constantly been, you know, questioning in my head, and I feel like you've addressed it, you know, beautifully. You're like allyship is so important, I, and I, you're so right. You're so right. Thank you for that. Of course, and the big, the biggest will continue. Like the, that's why the world is the way it is. You know, like that's why this earth is the way it is, and. Unfortunately, we can't change everyone because, you know, there there can't be a revolution without opposers. So true. Wow. So that. many, so many great words. As a journalist, <laughs> snap, like snap, I would snap. love no. to just grab Like I literally want to slap some of her words on a cute Instagram post and be like, <laughs> <laughs> repost, repost, repost. Amazing. Yes. I'm yes. here for Anything else, Vanessa, Vanessa, that you would like to add? 
if I can say anything, it's especially if you guys, again, are focused on Latino voices and Latinos, like this is not a black issue, y'all. Like this is a human issue. And I think we need to all do homework on how, you know, racism manifests itself in our own culture. And I think that, um, again, I applaud and thank you guys for having me on here. Cause like I said, I'm, I'm an expert in my own experience, but a witness in others. And I can tell you that sometimes some of my most racist experiences have been with my own people, um, with other Latinos. So I think we need to all collectively like do homework on what is it like, how, why is our culture rooted the way it is? And a lot of that has to do with colonialism. Um, but again, what can we be doing differently internally as a culture? Um, because we are the most powerful, vibrant and dynamic people there are like, period. Latinos are so dynamic. And, um, I was talking to Danny, I think yesterday when we were saying, you know, like she was saying how sometimes she doesn't fit the Latina mold. And we were talking about this concept of the Latino mold. There is no mold because we're all so dynamic. We're so multifaceted. You go to our countries, you see black, you see white, you see, you know, skinny, you see big, you see curvy, you see Latinos are so dynamic. There's not one way. And I think that that's something that we need to start celebrating um because amen sister friend yeah so we need to start celebrating we need to start educating we need to stand now is the time for us to speak up um for our afro-latino community for our black community um and yeah solidarity is important but activism is even more important and you know allyship is a verb it's not just a little instagram post it's a it's you actively trying to learn and educate yourself and influence those around you. So that's what I would say is just we have to, you know, have these tough conversations in our families, in our workplaces, with ourselves. We have to analyze our own uh, behaviors and what has been imposed on us. Um, and, and I think the minute we do that and I think I'm hopeful that our generation is going to be the ones to do it. Um and yeah, pa'lante. Just so you know, Vanessa, we wanted to, f- this podcast, we wanted to focus on you and your experiences. Allow you, since none of us are black, none of us have those experiences, allow you, you know, to voice that. And specifically as an Afro-Latina. Yeah, no, I, again, I really appreciate you guys, again, for having that. Because I think it's, it's like, yeah, we have moved culture for so long and we've been silenced for so long, but I'm so happy to see you know, more and more Afro-Latina and Afro-Latino voices. Um, because again, this this is so important and we're all equally Latino and equally Black. So, um, you know, I don't think it's like a one or the other. When I think about my own identity, I'm like, I'm equally Latina and I'm equally Black. And I'm not mixed, I'm Afro-Latina because like I said, I'm culturally Hispanic and racially Black. And I think, again, I, I was saying this yesterday, how I think the thing is people oftentimes they it doesn't sit well with people to not be able to point at one thing and classify you as one thing. And I think that's the tough piece is that when you're so dynamic and multifaceted or you have a lot of layers, people get are like, oh, what do I do with that? Um, so, again, I just I'm, I'm, I'm excited by this platform and, and what you guys have created and. Um, like I said, I think our generation is going to be the one to change the narrative of not only our own cultures, but the the culture of this world. So thanks again for having me. And thank you so much again, Vanessa, for joining. So key takeaway, everyone, remember just to ask people to lean in and to say, Oye, let's talk about what's happening in the world right now. Thanks again, Vanessa. Thank you, Danny and Manny. And I hope you all stay tuned for our next episode of Oye, Let's Talk.